Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, episode number five. Hi, you guys. Thank you for joining me today. Today is going to be another episode where it's just me talking to you guys, and I'm going to do an extended Q&A. So I'm pulling questions from my Instagram. I think this was September 4th, so that was a couple months ago, or I guess only one month ago that I used an old box And this episode, I think what we're going to do is I'm going to stick to answering questions that are just pregnancy related. So we're not even going to get into like birth or breastfeeding, of course, or anything. It's just going to be me answering questions, you know, related to pregnancy. Okay. I think what I'm going to do is kind of alternate because I can only do one of these a month on my podcast, but kind of alternate Q&As where I'm just kind of talking about birth-related questions and just talking about pregnancy-related questions and then just talking about postpartum-related questions, breastfeeding-related questions. And then I'll probably do a Q&A where I'm just talking about like nursing, like RN, you know, registered nursing-related questions because I do get a handful of those as well. So without further ado, let's get started into today's episode. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where we firmly believe in the power of education when it comes to giving birth. Tune in each week as we dive into pregnancy-related topics, expert interviews, and a variety of birth stories. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now, here's your host, educator, registered nurse, and fellow mom, Liesl Teen. Today's episode was sponsored by Nested Bean. Nested Bean helps babies sleep and families thrive by creating gently weighted sleepwear for babies 0 to 24 months. The lightweight on the chest mimics your loving touch to provide more comfortable and restful sleep for babies in one to three nights, which is so crazy to me, but it does work, you guys. They have a line of lightly weighted swaddles, sacks, footies, and bodysuits, and they just launched the Zen One, their most versatile product yet. With an inside secure band, two-way zipper, removable mesh sleeves, and gently weighted chest and sides, the Zen One mimics your touch for uninterrupted sleep no matter how your baby wears it from birth to rolling over. If you want to check out their new product, the Zen One, head over to nestedpeen.com for more information. And I do have a code for you guys to use to save 15% off. It is Liesl15, that's L-I-E-S-E-L 15 to save 15%. Hi, you guys. Happy Monday. We are going to do an extended Q&A today. I have actually taken some of these questions uh, January 2nd of this year, 2019, of an old story box that I posted earlier this year. That's how long I've been doing story questions, guys. So I have taken 10 questions from this box, all pregnancy related, and I'm going to answer these and kind of dive deep into these. So the first question is, know anything about red raspberry leaf tea and is it worth it? 
So here's the thing with red raspberry leaf tea that, you know, why it's so popular. So people think that if you start drinking this red raspberry leaf tea, side note, I actually never did this during my pregnancy. I was not a big fan of tea during my pregnancy. So I never really tried this as an induction method or as a prep method. But that's why people do it to kind of strengthen their uterus and tone their uterus. And it's thought to help kind of prep your cervix for labor and even thought to maybe induce labor if you drink it close to your due date. So what we know about red raspberry leaf tea, it actually has been around for a really, really long time. And It's not only for pregnant women, a lot of, I mean, you don't have to drink it if you're pregnant, but it's thought to kind of support a lot of health ailments like respiratory issues, digestive issues, uterine issues, you know, regardless of if you're pregnant or not, menopause sort of issues. So it's been around for a really, really long time and people have been drinking it for a lot of different kinds of things for a long time. It's got a lot of vitamins and minerals like vitamin C, vitamin E, vitamin A, vitamin B, magnesium, potassium, calcium, all this good stuff in it. So it's thought to be really, really great for, you know, as a health benefit for people. And it's supposed to, you know, some of the things that it's supposed to do is like ease menstrual cramps. If you have menstrual cramps, improve your reproductive health. If you're trying to conceive, balance your hormones, you know, all this good stuff. Some people even think that it may help to reduce morning sickness and even help on a postpartum basis too. So if you're having really crazy hormones on a postpartum basis, you know, they say drink some red raspberry leaf tea and it'll help. So this is all, you know, this stuff you can look up about red raspberry leaf tea on the internet that it's supposed to be great for all of this stuff. And anecdotally, It is. So we've heard from lots of women saying, oh, I drank red raspberry leaf tea and I went into labor at 39 weeks or whatever. Or, oh, you know, red raspberry leaf tea helped my XYZ. So anecdotally, it does work. But if you look at the evidence, there have been a lot of conflicting studies about red raspberry leaf tea and its effectiveness. There have been some studies that have shown that it's shortened labor. And then there have been some studies that in some groups, it helped to stimulate contractions. And these were in humans. I think they were in rats. <laughs> it's helped to you know stimulate contractions in some groups in that study. And then in another group, it did the complete opposite. So it didn't really work. Now, all of these studies, I haven't found any adverse effects. You know, I'm not speaking for everybody, but in my research, I have not found any adverse effects. So if you're drinking this tea, you know, it's not like there's any harm to it. It just might not really work. So my kind of takeaway from this and my advice is if you like tea, then great. You know, drink this red raspberry leaf tea. If you hate tea, don't make yourself drink this tea. It might help. It might not. But there's really been no evidence saying that definitely, yes, red raspberry leaf tea, 100%, we all agree that it can do X, Y, Z. This is all anecdotal stuff. All right. So question number two is, when should baby be head town? I am 32 weeks and three days and she's still transverse. And transverse just means that baby is kind of sideways in the womb. So maybe their shoulder is presenting first or kind of their back. Most babies are either head down, their head is down, their booty 
or their feet are down, they're in a breech presentation, or they're like this, they're transverse. The most common, obviously, is head down. All right, so if we're talking about transverse, we do expect babies to either be head down or booty down or breech by about 30-ish weeks. So if this person was asking their 32 weeks, we do kind of expect baby to be in either a head down or a breech presentation by that 32 week mark. But it's not impossible if baby is still transverse at 32 weeks, it's not impossible for them to still move. They are still small in there, so they can move. But most babies by that point are not going to be transverse. So with this question, let's also talk about breech babies because I think this is the more common question that, oh, my baby is breech. What do I do? How do I get baby into a head down position? What week should baby be in a head down position? So a breech presentation, you know, when their booty is first, is present in three to 4% of term pregnancies when you get to term. And then at about 32 weeks, only 7% of babies are breached. So if you are pregnant and you're not 32 weeks yet, this is what I tell everybody. If you're pregnant and you're not 32 weeks yet and your baby is breached and you're like, oh my gosh, my baby's breached. I want to turn my baby bit. Don't even worry about it. Okay. They're probably going to turn on their own. If you are past 32 weeks, not saying to worry, obviously don't worry if your baby is still breached. They still might turn. Okay. But this is when we start to say, okay, maybe let's start to think about doing some interventions, doing some positions to maybe get baby to turn. So my favorite resource to send people to, if this is you, if you're worried about your breech baby, I'm talking to people who are over 32 weeks, you know, getting to term and your baby is still breech. I love to send people to spinningbabies.com. They are my favorite resource. And I just went to a conference or I guess it was a workshop a few weeks ago. I guess it was a month ago, but they are my favorite resource and they have so many great techniques that they tell moms to do if they are trying to spin their baby, if their baby is breech and they're trying to spin their baby. There is a technique that we were taught in this workshop that's pretty cool and they have it on their website. If you go to their website at spinningbabies.com, it's right there. You can read all about it and see pictures. It's called forward leaning inversions. So this is something that you would do if you're trying to turn your baby and it's basically where you get on either a couch or kind of just a raised surface, maybe two or three feet. Well, yeah, probably two feet off the ground. So like a couch, okay, you kind of kneel on that couch and you hold onto the edge of the couch, okay, and you slowly kind of put your hands down on the floor and then you lower the rest of yourself kind of to your forearms one by one and you let your head really hang there for a few seconds. And then you take three breaths, so that's about 30 seconds. You kind of stay in that position and then you kind of work yourself back up and you just kneel on the couch for 30 seconds. And then once you're finished, you just kind of sit on your knees and swing your knees out and get up. And so with these inversions, you wanna do them quite frequently and they recommend seven to 14 times a day, about once an hour, 
for two to three days, and you have about a 92% chance of turning a breech baby. That's what they recommend, and that's their technique, and I love them for that. So if you are interested in spinning babies, I'm going to link it in the show notes, this specific page that I'm on that I'm reading all of this stuff from. They are a fabulous, fabulous resource. All right, so question number three is, I feel like I have round ligament pain. What exactly is it, and how do I get rid of it? So round ligament pain, unfortunately, is one of those things that's super, super common during pregnancy, and it's not fun at all. And I remember it very well, and it sucks. I'm sorry if you are experiencing it. It is certainly not fun. So first off, I do have to say, if you are having abdominal pain during your pregnancy, please see your provider because sometimes people get this confused with preterm labor or labor contractions, and they're just having round ligament pain or Maybe they think they're having round ligament pain and they're really going into labor. So if this is you, you know, obviously don't take medical advice from the internet, (laughs) but definitely see your provider if you are experiencing any pain in your belly region if you're pregnant. Okay, so with round ligament pain, basically how this pain happens is you've got two ligaments that help support the uterus by connecting the front of your uterus to like your groin region, okay? And they are cord-like, and as your pregnancy progresses, they stretch, okay? They stretch to accommodate baby because your belly keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, so these two ligaments really, really, really stretch really, really tight. And sometimes even depending on your anatomy and the way your baby is sitting, they might stretch a little bit more on one side or the other. So you might have kind of more of this round ligament pain you know, on your left side or on your right side, or some people have it on both sides and that's normal as well. So as these ligaments stretch, okay, on the sides of your belly, they are more likely to spasm or tighten really easily. And when this happens, you can have like a sharp, you know, jarring pain. This round ligament pain is most common during position changes. Okay, so this is honestly the most popular time that it happens is when you're kind of rolling out of bed in the morning and getting out of bed after you've been sleeping. That's certainly when I had round ligament pain is after I was sleeping for a long time and I just kind of got up too fast and I'd say, oh, you know, (laughs) like I had just kind of a pain in the side. Some women do experience it constantly, especially as they get further and further along in their pregnancies, and that can be you know, normal as well, unfortunately. So the best thing to do if you have this round ligament pain, you think this is round ligament pain, is if you're having it while you're changing positions, you want to change positions really, really slowly, okay? Don't just get up right out of bed. And one of the best things you can do is getting a maternity support belt, okay? You can get them at Walmart. Motif Medical, She they sponsored one of my podcast episodes and I've worked with them. They have great maternity support belts. And these support belts, like I said, you can get them from Walmart, but a lot of times they're covered by your insurance too if you go through one of these websites. So by supporting your belly with one of these belts or just kind of supporting with your hands as you're changing positions, it helps relax those ligaments a bit and they're less likely to tighten and spaz when you change positions. In addition, you know, if you're still really, really in pain, having a heating pad down there as you're changing positions or just as you're resting, that can help a whole lot too. And another thing to add for round ligament pain, remember I talked about those forward-leaning inversions with spinning babies. 
if you're trying to spin your breech baby, those are great to do throughout your pregnancy. And those actually can help round ligament pain as well. If you're just kind of doing those daily, okay? You don't want to do them excessively like we talked if you're trying to turn your breech baby. But if you're doing those just once a day, that can really help with round ligament pain as well. This episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast was brought to you by Mommy Labor Nurse. (laughs) I've seen it in the delivery room time and time again. Mamas that complete some kind of childbirth education before they're due have a more positive birth. So then why do less than one third of all moms take a birth class? Probably because so many of the options out there are either way too expensive, super inconvenient, or just don't offer mamas really what they need. That's why I created the Birth It Up online birthing classes. With Birth It Up, you'll gain the in-depth knowledge and confidence you need to have a better birth from the comfort of your own home at a price point that can't be beat. Head on over to mommylabornurse.com backslash courses to find the birth class that's right for you. All right, so the next question is, can your mucus plug come out over a few weeks? And the answer is yes, okay? So let's talk about your mucus plug and kind of what that is. (laughs) So your mucus plug is just like a big, thick piece of mucus that sort of encircles your cervix, okay? And this your cervix is the bottom, the very, very bottom part of your uterus that's kind of at the end of your vagina. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's just a mucusy kind of plug that helps to kind of seal, you know, everything up. Most women lose them later in their pregnancy in the last few weeks, you know, kind of before they're due, kind of before they go into labor. Sometimes some women only lose them hours before they go into labor. Some women don't really lose it at all, and they lose it kind of during labor. Some women, like the answer to this question, lose them kind of over a few weeks, okay? It's really, there's no rhyme or reason. Everybody's kind of different with this mucus plug. And also, some women don't even recognize when they come out, okay? So you might have kind of gone to the bathroom and you were on the toilet and it just kind of came out and you didn't even realize. That is totally normal and that happens as well. So if you do notice it, that most women do, it's basically like a big chunky piece of mucus. So if you think about you have, this is really, really disgusting and TMI, but if you have a really bad cold and you blow your nose and you get like a lot of just snotty mucus, that's what it looks like. <laughs> and sometimes It does come out all at once, and sometimes it comes out in pieces, and sometimes it takes weeks. Mine personally kind of came out all at one time in one, you know, in one piece. I had gotten my my membrane stripped, and it came out like a few hours after I had gotten my membrane stripped. So in terms of labor, some people do lose these mucus plugs early in their pregnancy, and If you do lose your mucus plug early in pregnancy and you really think it's your mucus plug, I do always tell people to, hey, give your provider a call and say, hey, like I think I lost my mucus plug because this is sometimes a sign that labor is approaching, especially if you're preterm. Sometimes people lose their mucus plugs and they end up going into preterm labor. So I do always caution moms if they do think they lost their mucus plug early to talk to their providers. But it also can be lost early in pregnancy and then kind of grow back. And then you can lose it again, like later during your pregnancy. So in terms of labor, like I said, some women 
lose them in relation to labor and they lose their mucus plug. And then a few hours later, they go into labor. A few days later, they go into labor. Some women, it's not in relation to labor at all. You know, so it just, it really, really just depends on you. Okay. So question number five is at what week should you start doing fetal kick counts, specifically those with anterior placentas? All right. So let's talk about what an anterior placenta is really quick. So if you have an anterior placenta and your provider has told you that you have an anterior placenta because they saw this on your ultrasound, that just means that your placenta is kind of sitting on the front side of your uterus. So if you touch your belly where your belly button is, like that's kind of where your placenta is. And the reason why this person is asking this question is, especially when you have anterior placentas, you can feel kind of less dulled kicks, dulled movements where your placenta is. So in terms of doing fetal kick counts, regardless of where your placenta is, if it's in the front, if it's in the back, if you got a previa, anywhere it is, you still really want to start tracking your movements at 28 weeks. It might be a little bit harder for you because you do have an anterior placenta and you have that placenta in the way, but i tell moms if they know that they have an anterior placenta and you're trying to do fetal kick counts, you really want to pay attention to kicks on the sides of your belly and on your back or kind of in your lower region in your vagina. Any sort of movement, regardless of hiccups, hiccups aren't movements, any sort of movement counts as a kick. Okay, so just even a little twinge kind of on your side, that counts as a kick. So for people who don't know how to do fetal kick counts. I would hope that you understand how to do fetal kick counts if you're over 28 weeks because your doctor's office, your midwife has told you and educated you about these. But if you don't know how to do them, let's go over how to do them really quick. So you want to lie down on your side once a day, kind of at the same time of the day. So I used to always do them. I worked night shift, so I would always kind of do them as I was laying down in the morning, you know, getting off of work or I would do them kind of before, you know, if I was not working night shift, I would kind of do them as I was kind of getting out of bed. So you want to lie on your side and you want to count baby's movements and baby should be moving 10 times in two hours. Okay. So you can sit there. Sometimes babies are really, really active and they'll do all of those 10 movements in the first five minutes and you're good. You don't have to sit there for two hours. Some babies are a little, you know, more lazy (laughs) and they take that whole two hours, okay? Both are normal, but anything outside of that norm needs to be brought up by your provider, okay? It's very, very important because a decrease in fetal movement can indicate stress, can indicate a problem that's going on. So if you are doing your fetal kick counts every day and you're realizing that babies maybe not moving as much one day, call your provider. It's very, very important regardless of what gestational age you are, okay? Even if you are 41 weeks, you're waiting for labor to start and you notice that day that baby's not as active, very, very important to call your provider. It's also important to note that if your baby normally moves 10 times in like the first five minutes or the first 10 minutes or the first 30 minutes or whatever, and then one day it's taking baby that whole two hours to move, that is also a change that you need to bring up to your provider. So just a little PSA on fetal kick counts, very, very important. 
Question number six is, is it normal for your pregnancy symptoms to subside, to go away in the ninth week of pregnancy? I am worried a little bit. So this is, it's kind of a tough one because it can be normal and it also can be a sign, you know, that something is going on. This is one of those symptoms that your provider will tell you if all of a sudden you do not feel pregnant anymore, your morning sickness goes away, everything kind of goes away, you know, that feeling that you kind of feel like you're pregnant, all of a sudden just something does not feel right and you don't feel pregnant. Maybe you don't have cramps or you don't have bleeding or anything, but you just feel off. That is something that, you know, it's okay to call your provider about and for you to come in and then to check on baby because that can signify that maybe, you know, things aren't going so well in there. So it's always worth, you know, talking to your provider if you're concerned. But with that said, it is totally normal. And I remember this very well to some days you have a whole lot of morning sickness and a whole lot of pregnancy symptoms. Your back hurts, your you're having a lot of mucus, you know, all of these pregnancy symptoms. And then the next day, oh, I don't really have any morning sickness. Um, you know, I'm feeling good or, hey, I'm not really having this back pain anymore. And then the next day you feel like you're totally pregnant again. It, it is totally normal and totally fine for it to kind of be up and down like this. So I would say to this person, if this person obviously isn't still nine weeks pregnant because this question was a really long time ago, but I would say if this is you and you are truly worried that all of a sudden I do not feel pregnant anymore, call your provider. If you have a good provider, they're going to be happy to see you and you know to ease your worries. But with that said, this is something that happens. All right. So question number seven is how do you know for sure when it's real contractions and when it's Braxton contractions. This is something that I get all the time, guys. Like this is so, so common. And I remember even thinking to myself when I was pregnant, like, are these Braxton Hicks contractions or are these real contractions? I don't know. So let's talk about Braxton Hicks really quick and what they are, because I get a lot of questions about this and how you know you tell the difference and how do you tell if it's real labor. So what exactly are Braxton Hicks contractions? Okay, if you ever feel your stomach throughout the day, throughout the night, and it's kind of intermittently getting hard, okay, all of a sudden you kind of feel, sometimes people refer to it as baby kind of quote unquote balling up in there, but you just kind of notice that your belly gets hard, okay? And it's not really painful, like it's not taking your breath away. It might be a little uncomfortable, but it's not, you know, like a period cramp. That is a Braxton Hicks and they usually last 30 to 60 seconds. Some women feel them. Some women don't even notice, don't even feel them. Most people do describe them as a little uncomfortable. Some people do describe them as, you know, pretty uncomfortable, and that can be normal as well, but they're not straight up painful. Like I said, they're not, it's not like a true period labor contraction pain. Sometimes with Braxton Hicks, you might have some that are a little bit painful. You know, you might have a painful one here and there, but they aren't getting more painful and more painful they will be kind of few and far between if you do have ones that are a little painful. Braxton Hicks usually don't follow a pattern and they don't increase in intensity, okay? So they just kind of stay where they're at, okay? They're not, it's not leading to anything. 
there's also usually always something that alleviates them. So whether it's you get into the bath or you get into the shower, you roll over, (laughs) you start drinking a whole lot of water or you eat something or you take a walk and they kind of go away. Sometimes even as you near kind of the end of your pregnancy, your Braxton Hicks contractions might even cause like a little bit of perineal pressure. So you're feeling like some pressure down there with your Braxton Hicks and that can be normal as well. With Braxton Hicks, you actually even can feel them very, very early into your pregnancy. So even at the four to five month mark, that's actually when I started feeling them when I was, I think I was 20 weeks And all of a sudden, I've been having them for days, but I just didn't put two and two together. And all of a sudden I said, oh, oh, I think these are Braxton Hicks contractions. So now kind of going on to real labor and how you tell the difference. So real labor contractions are painful, you know, very, very intense period cramps, and they follow a pattern and they increase in strength and intensity over time, okay? There is really nothing that you can do to stop your contractions. This is side note, but (laughs) except if you go to the, you know, the hospital, your preterm, maybe you get some magnesium, you get some medication, they try to stop your labor or something. But just for you, there's nothing you can do to really stop labor once it hits you. So maybe there's a position change you can kind of do that might make them less uncomfortable. You can get into the bath or the shower or, you know, do X, Y, Z, and it kind of relieves them a little bit and kind of lets you kind of get through them easier, but they're still going to increase in intensity. So that's kind of how I describe them to people is, you know, Braxton Hicks, they're kind of few and far between, they're not really following a pattern, they're not really painful, and then labor, you know when it's labor because they are very, very painful and there's nothing you can do to stop it and it just keeps getting worse and worse. So probably if you're asking this question, you're saying, hey, is this labor? This Is this Braxton Hicks? They're probably Braxton Hicks contractions. But again, always got to do the disclaimer. If you are having belly pain at any point in your pregnancy, <laughs> make sure you talk to your provider. All right. So question number eight is, I am 14 weeks and two days and I don't even have the slightest bump. Is it still okay to sleep on my stomach? And the answer to this question is absolutely yes, okay? You're going to get to a point where it's uncomfortable, okay? Your bump is going to start growing. Your baby's going to start growing. And it's not going to be comfortable for you anymore to sleep on your stomach or even on your back. Some women don't even like to sleep on their backs, you know, the more pregnant that they get. But if you're concerned about sleeping on your stomach and you're early in pregnancy, even up to like 20 you know, some weeks, if you're comfortable sleeping on your stomach, it's not affecting anything. Your uterus is a very, very, very strong muscle that's holding your baby in there and protecting your baby. So you sleeping on your stomach is perfectly safe and perfectly fine as long as it's comfortable for you. And while we're on the subject of sleep positions, let's talk about that whole, I can't sleep on my back, you know, when I'm pregnant. And that is actually a myth that people like to scare pregnant women that, oh my gosh, you can't sleep on your back. It's super dangerous. Don't ever lay on your back. And it's really not true. If you, so this is what I tell people. If you wake up and you're on your back, just roll over. Okay. (laughs) I have heard so many women stress over the fact that they 
wake up in the middle of the night and they're on their backs and they're like, oh my God, I'm not supposed to be sleeping on my back. But it's okay. Okay. If you just wake up and you're on your back, you roll over. So the reason why providers advise against spending a long, because it is true that you don't want to spend a whole lot of time on your back, okay? And the reason is you have this big vessel, okay, in your back, and it's called your aorta, and that runs down your back, and that blood vessel is responsible for feeding blood to all parts of your body, and one part of your body that's very important that it feeds blood to is your uterus, okay? And so when you lie on your back, especially as you get more and more pregnant and your uterus gets heavier and heavier, your uterus might compress that aorta and it might decrease blood flow to your organs, specifically your uterus and specifically your placenta, which is connected to your baby's umbilical cord, which is (laughs) helping baby get enough blood flow in there. And so when you're decreasing blood flow to your placenta, Baby can get less blood flow, okay, which means that baby's getting less oxygen, so it can be dangerous. But this is what I always tell people. If this is actually happening, you will likely become symptomatic, so you'll start feeling dizzy. You'll start feeling lightheaded. You'll start feeling nauseous because it's not just cutting off blood supply and oxygen to your placenta. It's cutting off blood flow and oxygen to your other organs as well. So that's actually like a defense mechanism that your body provides you. It tells you kind of when something's up. It gives you symptoms like you start feeling really faint and nauseous and you know it's kind of telling you, hey, you need to change positions to kind of get more blood flow going. So if you're just waking up in the middle of the night, you're not you're not having any symptoms, just roll over. If you are having symptoms, definitely roll over. But especially if you're not even having any symptoms, just roll over. You're fine. I did a post on this a while back on my feed and I had a few people comment. I think it was Mama Dr. Jones. She said something like, I always tell patients that, you know, if they wake up in the middle of the night, that's kind of their bodies, you know, signaling them like, hey, you know, it's time to roll over. And that is totally the truth. All right, so question number nine is, what is the best way to relieve sciatica pain? I just entered my third trimester and it's getting so bad. I am so sorry. Sciatica pain is awful. I did not personally experience it, but I've seen plenty of patients experience it and it sucks. So I am really, really sorry if this is you and you're experiencing this. So let's talk about sciatica pain and kind of why it happens during pregnancy. So during your pregnancy, you have a hormone called relaxin, okay, and that increases during your pregnancy and that helps to prepare your pelvis for childbirth because it helps to kind of relax your ligaments, relax everything during your pregnancy, okay, to kind of prepare for everything. Another reason why you have round ligament pain too because it kind of relaxes those ligaments. So as those ligaments loosen and your body of you know your center of gravity kind of shifts sometimes this sciatica nerve that runs down your backside can shift and it can kind of get pinched and that's why you kind of have that sharp shooting pain because you're just getting bigger and this relaxin is increasing and it's just kind of getting in the way of things so unfortunately 
there is not a whole lot you can do, but there are a few things you can do to kind of ease the pain. So people like warmth, okay? So if you take really, really warm showers, you know, warm baths to kind of help relieve the pain. If you have a warm heating pad, you can put that on the area. Another really, really great thing is seeing a massage therapist that can massage pregnant people. Some massage therapists don't massage pregnant people, but find one that massages pregnant people and knows that you're having sciatica pain and can really help to work out that area. That I've heard that is one of the best things is if you have the money to invest, you know, some people can't afford to be getting prenatal massages all the time, but if you can find a really, really well-trained massage therapist that can help you with this, that can really, really be beneficial. In addition to massage therapy, seeing a chiropractor can also really, really help with sciatica pain. Of course, as a healthcare provider, we always say take Tylenol if you're in pain. And I know sometimes when I say that to pregnant women and they're having a whole lot of pain, they just kind of look at me with the evil eye. <laughs> but that is something that has been shown to help, you know, with any kind of aches and pains during pregnancy. So that can help as well, you know, take Tylenol. Yoga is a really, really good thing. And that kind of goes along with that whole massage therapy, seeing a chiropractor doing yoga, any sort of exercise. If you know, if you're not super active, doing exercises, exercising more during pregnancy can help. I personally love yoga and I think it helps with labor prep as well. So yeah, big fan of yoga. Yoga can really help. And then finally, another one that kind of goes, you know, along with all of this stuff is going to a physical therapist. So a physical therapist, like a chiropractor, like a massage therapist, if they're really, you know, well-trained with caring for pregnant women, they can be very beneficial in, you know, help relieving your sciatica pain. And sometimes even with physical therapy, they're really great as a first resource because sometimes they can assess things and say, hey, I can't fix this, but here's, you know, a technique that maybe, or here's a person that you can go, here's a massage therapist that I work with that, you know, can really, really help you and really, really make things better. And I just want to follow up and say that the good thing is that sciatica pain almost always goes away after pregnancy. It's just because things are so large in there and, you know, that baby and that uterus is kind of pinching on that nerve. So once you deliver, your sciatica pain will go away. All right. So question number 10, the last question is how to get through morning sickness or should I say all day sickness? Poor thing. I know morning sickness, all day sickness is awful. And I had plenty of it when I was pregnant with Walter. So some people have this morning sickness. Most people do. I think I heard it was something like 80% of pregnant women will feel nauseous at some point during their pregnancy. And that, you know, I believe that because that is, it's so, 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 so common. So I first want to make it clear that if you are having terrible, terrible morning sickness and you really can't keep anything down, especially liquids, it is important to bring this up to your provider. Even if you haven't been to your first prenatal appointment yet and you really can't keep anything down, let's say you're five or six weeks pregnant and you're just constantly throwing up and you can't even keep water down, definitely talk to your provider because it is very easy to get dehydrated when you are pregnant, okay? So they wanna give you some medication, give you some fluids, make sure you're doing okay. 
Sometimes this can signify, you know, if you're really, really having trouble keeping liquids and foods down, you're just constantly throwing up. This can signify a condition called hyperemesis gravidum. And that is awful and terrible. And I hope nobody experiences that, but that is just where you're constantly, constantly throwing up. So, and that needs medical treatment. So very important to bring up to your provider if, you know, you really, really can't keep anything down. Most people with morning sickness, with all day sickness, there is kind of a light at the end of the tunnel. Eventually, this kind of subsides, you know, around that second trimester mark. And a lot of people with this morning kind of all day sickness, it's not truly all day. It kind of comes in waves. So here are just a few things that I have found to kind of help a little bit with this morning sickness. Everybody's going to respond differently. And some people might say, oh, this worked really, really great for me. And some people might say, that didn't help at all. So these are just kind of like the most common things that I kind of tell people. So first off is those morning sickness bands. And I know that's probably gimmicky and you're like, Liesl, why why are you bringing those up? But I swear, some people swear by those things, okay? They're supposed to be acupuncture bands, okay? And they are supposed to emit like constant pressure onto these little pressure points that you have in your wrist. And it's supposed to help your morning sickness and your nausea. Some people swear by them. Some people think they're crap, but... It's worth at least bringing them up. You can get them on Target. You can get them on Amazon. I'll link them in, you know, down below. But I like them because they're completely drug-free. You know, there's no kind of medication that you have to take. And there's nothing that you have to take by mouth either. A lot of people have issues with these remedies because it's just another thing that you have to put in your mouth and to take, okay? I like these bands if they do work for you because it's you literally just put them on your wrist. It's nothing that you have to take. Another little trick that I tell people is the alcohol swab tip, okay? And this is a nurse trick that I tell people to kind of keep little alcohol swabs in your purse. You can get them from the drugstore, okay? I can get them from work, like they're they're everywhere, but you can get them from like Walgreens or CVS. And this is something that I do with patients who are in labor. So if they feel like a wave of nausea coming on, I'll give them a little alcohol swab to sniff. And about 80% of the time, it takes that nausea away. Some people, it does the opposite and it makes them kind of vomit more and more and more nauseous. But a lot of times, just sniffing straight alcohol, what you know, like wood alcohol takes nausea away. So I tell people like in their first trimester or if they're just experiencing nausea and, you know, issues during their pregnancy, kind of keep these alcohol swabs in your purse. And if you feel a little wave come on to, you know, open one up and sniff one. Another good one because it's, there's no drugs involved. There's no ingestion involved either. All right. So the next little tip that I like to tell people is keeping a little cracker, a little saltine cracker or a little kind of high carb snack right by your bed before you get out of bed. Okay. So this is something that you can do as soon as you wake up, you eat that little saltine cracker or you eat that little wheat thin or trisket or whatever it is. Sometimes it's just a matter of kind of moving to get out of bed in the morning to kickstart your nausea and your morning sickness. So getting a little something in your stomach, the very first thing as soon as you wake up can kind of combat feeling queasy. I tell people to kind of keep them in their purse too, you know, for later. Just have a little saltine, little pack of saltines in your purse. All right. So next one is protein, eating 
meals that are high in protein, eating small and frequent high protein meals can, it has been shown to keep that nausea kind of at bay. It is a known fact that actually vitamin B6, okay, and this is something that you can, you can take a supplement of vitamin B6, but it is known that vitamin B6 can help decrease your symptoms of nausea and vomiting. So consuming foods that are packed with this element, like foods that are high in protein, like chicken, turkey, nuts, chickpeas, legumes, you know, those sorts of foods that are really high in vitamin B6 and protein can help ease your stomach. And then the next one is taking your prenatal vitamin. If you're taking, hopefully you're taking prenatal vitamins, but taking your prenatal vitamin in the evening instead of in the morning. So while prenatal vitamins are very, very important, it is really, really hard to swallow a big pill, right? Especially when you're not feeling so good and you're really, really nauseous. And so many women find that taking these at night instead of in the morning can really help their morning sickness, their all-day sickness. And sometimes it's just a matter of switching brands too. Some people react more and have more sickness when they're on a certain brand of prenatals than when they're on another one. So this is something to kind of think about that mm, maybe if my all-day sickness, my morning sickness is related to my prenatal vitamin, maybe I try a different brand. All right, so next one is ginger stuff, okay? And I think most people know this one, but it's worth bringing up. So ginger root, you know, straight, pure ginger contains a few chemicals. So they're, and I'm probably pronouncing these wrong, gingerol and shogahol. This is the internet that I'm reading them from. So those chemicals help soothe an upset stomach, okay? And ginger also works by relaxing your intestinal tract, okay, and serving also as an anti-inflammatory agent to your upset stomach when your stomach is upset. Whether you are pregnant or not, ginger has been shown to help, you know, with kind of these stomach ailments. And the nice thing with ginger is there are, even though this is something that you do have to ingest, there are a lot of ways to take ginger. So I just posted on my Instagram a few days ago of little ginger mints, little ginger Altoids that you can actually buy. But there's just pure ginger. You can just cut up ginger and kind of chew it. There's ginger ale, and I would recommend getting like pure ginger ale, ginger snaps, those cookies, even ginger pills, like they're straight, you know, ginger pills if you really can't have anything, you know, right in your mouth. And then the next one is lemons or lemonade. This is a popular one that I've heard from a lot of people that's sucking on like a lemon, you know, lemon drop, a lemon candy or sipping on lemonade that's not super, super high in sugar, but just like a lot of lemon can really, really help nausea as well. This one I didn't really try and, you know, I tried it, but I didn't really feel like it helped me as much, but this one is really, really super common. And lemon, like Ginger is also considered to be like an anti-inflammatory agent to your intestines. So that's kind of why that helps as well. And just a bonus too, if you really aren't a fan of lemon, lime also can work in the same way. So you could, you know, lime juice, limeade (laughs) isn't as sweet and it isn't as good. I think for a lot of people, a lot of people prefer lemonade, but limeade, you know, can help as well. And that the last thing, if you're really experiencing a lot of nausea during your pregnancy, is this is something that I heard from one of my friends, is they have Pedialyte freezer pops, okay? And those are great. Maybe they're not going to help your nausea as much, but they're going to help you get fluid into your system if you're really, really having a hard time. You can get them at Amazon. You can get them at Target. 
they are great. They've got a lot of zinc and a lot of electrolytes to kind of help replenish what you've lost from all of this vomiting. And I know personally that I would rather suck on a popsicle than, you know, chug fluid when I feel nauseous. So those are really, really great. All right, guys. So that is it. Those are the 10 questions that I've answered. Thank you so, so much for joining me this week. I hope I have helped answer some of your questions. If you're sitting here pregnant and, you know, wondering some of these questions, I hope I've helped. So I will see you guys same time, same place next week.